This is the Code of Sisterhood, a place where girls and women can gather in a safe space to grow. Here, we stand for support, respect, reliance, and love. I invite you to join my community and connect more deeply with your intuitive insights, to reclaim your personal power, and to live your best life in freedom. My name is Samantha Louise. I'm a women's leadership cultivator, and I'm honored to welcome you to the Code of Sisterhood. Welcome to the Code of Sisterhood. On today's episode, you're going to meet one of my favorite soul sisters. I met Beatrice Ferdine a few years ago as we were both exploring the cultural rules that govern our own lives, the storytelling, the implicit messages, things that are unspoken and unsaid, or the very short, brief phrases that we learned growing up that dictated how we felt about ourselves, how we perceived the world around us, how we showed up as women to lead, live, and love ourselves and others in the world. Beatrice has had a huge impact and inspirational effect on my own life in the development of my new nonprofit called Brave Girl International. She's also had a huge role in shaping and supporting the development of the main part of my business, my main work, doing women's leadership cultivation from a space of compassion, understanding, neutrality, open-mindedness, and open-heartedness. So from the bottom of my heart, a woman that has been part of my own healing and growth journey, I am honored and so excited to introduce you to my friend, Beatrice. So first of all, good morning to the audience. Good morning to Beatrice and um, welcome to the show. It, we've known each other for a while and I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to start out with these archetypal questions since we have some common language. I'm going to yeah. use a little a little <laughs> bit different language in this episode. Um, we've been studying biocognition together for several years. Yeah. So we use some different language with archetypes and co-authors and cultural editors uh, to, to help us as we've been making culture shifts and paradigm shifts in our own lives using a new language as we've learned to help us make those shifts powerful and sustainable. So we're going to start out with archetypes or symbols of sisterhood. The very first one, what color or word represents sisterhood? Um, yellow, I, I have to say. I was debating between yellow and green, actually. Uh, but yellow just um, reminds me of, of that light that you need um, in your life. Um, whenever you are you know, maybe going through a difficult situation. And for me, sisterhood represents that, um, that circle of um, I can go, go to sisterhood and, and be the light for someone else or someone be the light for me. Um, and then just yellow for me represents sunshine. You know, it's, it's a universal sort of um, uh, color that I think people naturally think about the sun. So sunshine and uplifting of not just yourself, but of others. And that's why I think yellow is, is, is just right there. It's just red. <laughs> Beautiful and so warm. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I can't wait to hear your response because you are a musician yourself. <laughs> what theme music or theme song expresses the sense of sisterhood? Um, it's so... Um, you know, Maria talks about serendipity all the time. And I was going through, oh, you know, that song, and I was thinking about it. And um, I remembered um, the, the, there was a song that um, Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstan, who is one of my favorites, and uh, Emily Harrison wrote together on their uh, trio album from the 70s. Mm -hmm. It's called Wildflowers. <laughs> and, the, I, and I and I chose that song before I even thought about putting the shirt on and so when I played it on this morning I was like oh my god I'm the wildflowers 
Um, and so I, you know, um, there's a documentary that talks about uh, these three uh, women, you know, in country music coming together and doing this album. They, they come from three different sort of experiences and they have uh, different audiences, but their ability to come together um, and write the song. And if you look at, if you read the, the lyrics um, of uh, Wildflowers, which I have a little piece here, um, you know, it talks about, I think it's, it's about freedom and it's about leaving, you know, your tribe or your culture and wanting to do something else, right? Which we talk a lot about by permission. Um, and it also talks about, there's a, there's a, a line in here where it says, just a wild mountain rose needing freedom to grow, like that freedom to grow, right? Just, um, and that's what I think about um, sisterhood, you know, that having that, that freedom to grow and uh, just say, you know, I, um, I am this person, but I want to become something else, and I don't know how to do that. But in the circle, I have that freedom to do that because I can express myself and I can uh, relate to maybe someone else that's going through that, and then someone can show me because maybe I've never been shown how to how to do that, how to grow in that way um, that I that I really need to grow. Um, and so I I think this this song um, is just so perfect actually, you know, for this podcast even. Um, it's called wildflowers wow that's powerful and <laughs> the sense of unity how unity can create freedom yes and i appreciate that you're bringing up modeling yes. so it leads us into the next question about a person in your current life somebody that's a historical figure or even as we talk about the universal archetype of like a, a feminine role model of some sort is there a person or an archetype that comes to mind for you right away? Yes, uh, uh, Sandra Cisneros, who is um, an author, and she is the author of The House on Mango Street. And I wrote that. I read that book when I was when I was um, I don't know, probably in middle school, and I got introduced uh, to it by uh, a teacher, a female teacher, and um, I never really thought about what. Also, Mango Street was about, but I know that I that I could relate to this young girl in the book, um, growing up in Chicago, in her Mexican American culture, <laughs> and a kind of all the confines that come with you know that cultural setting, and the expectation of you know you're just a girl and you're not expected to to become much or or have dreams for yourself or you know sort of again those cultural um, walls. And the book um, talks about with this, you know, uh, it's a series of stories. It's just the book itself. Uh, I was reading an interview on Sandra Cisneros, and they asked her, you know, um, the book is, uh, seems like a very uh, easy book to, that anybody can pick up. And she said she wrote it in such a way that she felt like she didn't want to feel um, other people to feel overwhelmed by it or intimidated by it. And she wrote it in a way that was more like an inviting, or you could just pick it up, you could read the whole story, or you could read bits and pieces of it. And I, now here I am, you know, it's kind of the mirror of this young girl coming into power uh, for herself and dreaming of something that she wants to be, who she wants to be, right? Um, and I just think about, with me, biocognition has done that, you know, um, has opened up that door of you can dream and you can become who you want to be um, and not being afraid to open that door. So for me, she represents um, sisterhood because not only was she a writer in her, you know, in her own right, it, um, she's also helped other writers. You know, she's, um, she's opened up a couple foundations where, uh, because she knows that it's so hard sometimes for even just being a, a writer when <laughs> in my culture again, you know, I have, I have to go back to my culture. And so to see her, uh, you know, become a writer and to say, I became a writer and you can become a writer. Uh, you know, I obviously don't write books, but I, um, I started doing songwriting. So <laughs> that's how I, I connect um, her and, and sisterhood. You know, she's 
I look up to her and and think about how much impact she's having on young women through her book, even if they're not Mexican American, because they could be going through something where their cultural and their inner circle tells them, you're just a girl. You know, that saying of you're just a girl, you can't amount to much, you know? Yeah, that feeling of you're just a girl, unfortunately, is all too common. And um, I continue to find there are there are both men and women who understand who get that. Um, And it continues to really surprise me and amaze me when I visit with people that deny that that happens. Yeah. And how prevalent really it is. It's it might be 2022, um, but there is still so much shame and suppression and hiding, putting on the masks and the personas to show up in a way that um, messaging tells us that we're supposed to, otherwise we're bad. And um, as both of us understand biocognition, um, I'd love for you to share, like, if you, if you had just a really basic definition, how do you describe what biocognition is because it's a, yet another avenue of healing it's for me the venue or the platform that puts all the puzzle pieces together for me it's been that connect that cohesion or the like you know the the connectivity that brings all these wonderings that I've had my whole life into a place that I can make sense of it and have permission inside of me to say yes, I have been treated poorly sometimes. Yes, I can learn from it and come out better on the other side. I don't have to keep living like this. I don't even have to keep thinking like this. What I learned, I can unlearn and then I can relearn something new. So for you, can you talk a little bit about what biocognition is? For me, um, it's, it's an experience. It's really, it's really, um, that place inside of you where you can, look inside of you and say you know just just as you said I've been I've been hurt I don't want to continue to be hurting and I want to be healed and I don't know how to do that but I'm in this space that allows me to do that and I have the tools that um, will help me and the way I think about it as I started reading um, I think I mentioned to you um, Santa Teresa de Avila and her study book on um, it's actually a study book on the castle within. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, a lovely book. <laughs> it's just like, it blew my mind. And I was like, there's biocognition right there. <laughs> um, and I, and I thought about uh, how, how everything does come together. If you're, and I was like, for me, when I was a kid, I was always looking for that inner peace and just like that truth that I felt like I, I wasn't getting from, anyone necessarily but I was just getting like bits and pieces kind of like the a puzzle right and it's like my, my puzzle's coming together and it's when I go um inward whether that's through meditation whether that's through prayer whether that's through um group meditation and then in that space you know I'm in my castle I'm trying to go inside the castle and my castle may have like a broken window <laughs> or my castle may have like a broken door, but I have my toolbox, you know, and I can take out my hammer and my nails and start fixing my castle because um, no one else is going to come and do that for me. Okay? Mm-hmm. No one else is going to can live the experience that I'm living inside myself. And mm-hmm. that, that to me, that's what biocognition um I never actually thought about what biocognition was to me. I just felt like I was just learning it. And I was like, I don't know that I can do that. It's, um, that's for people that are <laughs> um, better than me, you know. Both of us are getting emotional right now. This is really <laughs> amazing. I didn't expect this. And I agree with you, though. I think um, this is really beautiful because the essence of biocognition, as we've both said, these puzzle pieces going inward to explore that inner castle and calling it something so beautiful like that. Yeah. I'm not just a little shack, I'm a castle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and St. Teresa of Avila also talks 
in that book about, I don't remember the exact terminology, is it layers or levels? Mm -hmm. The rooms, the different the rooms. The rooms, yes, mm -hmm. yes. So as you're ascending, mm -hmm. as you're connecting more and more with your higher self, with God, with the divine, recognizing that suffering isn't the the healthiest choice for growth and development mm -hmm. and a lot of us are taught suffering as if we have to pay for being bad yes so in biocognition we are taught agency own up and do something and i think that's what you're getting at that's what i that's what i have experienced too where biocognition is an experience more than it is an intellectual stimulation of something yeah. so it is hard to explain because you you have to live it and that's what we were taught yeah so if you're not going to apply it you're not going to embody it it's not yeah, real and, yeah and, and one thing that um that was really um i would say transformative is the the victimhood i never really realized that i was living in victimhood i always just thought that was normal and in, yeah. you know, I'm sure in a lot of cultures and in my culture, you know, it's like people praise you for being a victim. It's so weird. It's like, oh, pobrecita. We use this thing, uh, this common phrase, pobrecita, which means, oh, poor, you know, poor you. Oh, you know, and then it's like pobrecita. They even demean, it's like, a, it's like you're small. Like it's not pobre, which means poor, but pobrecita, which is like you're small and you're poor. <laughs> So even the it's like the language, you know, Mari talks about the language, and yeah. the language that we use. And, and I never realized that I was living in victimhood. And I thought that was just normal. And I thought that was just going to be the, um, the normal or the norm for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And, but something inside me and, um, you know, kept gravitating towards people that kind of showed me like, don't have to live that way um and i just you know teachers you know certain teachers in my life that just um modeled sisterhood <laughs> you know that modeled like uh you know you you can do you can be something different not what um was expected or defined by your culture um and that's something that Think for me has been transformative hmm. to, to say I was a victim and I lived my life as a victim for a long time, but I don't want to be a victim hmm. anymore. That's right. So timely. Also, this morning I woke up and um, I was asked to help out on the farm a little bit this afternoon. And for the last few years of my life, having grown up in the country and grown up on the farm, recognizing that I, that's not like, I don't want, I just don't want to. I love the country. I love the farm. I love nature. Uh, but I want to do my own thing. Um, and I don't want to go just help out, put all of my things on the side burner to go help out. And in my culture, in my family, that's like, you don't say that you don't do that because it's everyone's responsibility, right? It's everyone's job to make sure the farm is going. And for the first time in our family's legacy, I'm saying no, right? If I've got stuff that I'm working on, that's my priority. I am my priority for once. And I had this voice inside of me just like screaming and I looked over at my dog and I said I guess I'm not the problem anymore <laughs> and like this for the first time in my life realizing I'm not the problem but because I thought I was because I don't want to do what everyone always tells me to do I don't want to live these like for me it's things like children are to be seen and not heard well I'm an adult now so why do I still live by that silly rule yes <laughs> or like you said to be just a girl and what other worth do you bring to the world so finally having it's been like my whole life I suppose I just kept saying it out over over and over out loud I was like why did it take so long for me to realize that I'm not 
the reason that so-and-so feels bad. I'm not the cause of someone else's anger. I'm not going to be the reason that my family's farm dies, <laughs> right? It's not my fault, but we take on those messages and those little cultural phrases and shame to get manipulated into doing and being who we aren't. My next question for you is what's big in your world right now? What's big on your heart? What kind of transformation is happening for you as we each go through these different rooms in our castle, these different seasons in our lives? Um, motherhood and songwriting. I'm, you know, when we, when you invited me to be part of uh, Brave Girl, and then we said, okay, let's, let's, you know, put in Brave Mom. <laughs> Um, I didn't, I really didn't think, oh, you know, I didn't think what, what is this group about? It's just like, okay, let's, let's kind of, um, like Amadio says, just drive and take a left or a right and see where it goes. And, um, you know, I have, I have a 12 year old who's, who's going to be, she's right there in a in teen And so I'm, I'm learning to be a mother and, and then using biocognition to say, okay, what did I learn from my mother that can serve me? And what did I learn from my mother that can't serve me anymore? Right? And there are, there are things um, in my own experience um, where, you know, aggressiveness and very strict um, sort of rules and standards in my house didn't, didn't allow you to, to be who you, you wanted to be, you know? Um, and that's something that, that I learned to apply to my motherhood style and to say, okay, I, I remember when Frida was um, in kindergarten, for example, I wanted her to be in ballet and I wanted her to do all these things that I thought she should be, you know, that I wanted her to be. <laughs> and there I was living that, that, that circle of, okay, I'm gonna do what my mother, you know, did she kind of groomed us in a certain way so now i'm going to groom my child in a certain way and so i'm learning to open up and say i have to let her be who she is and i have to um, create a circle between her and i of trust um of sisterhood even even with her and i um and of motherhood right um that and it's it's so it's so funny because I feel like in some ways Frida Frida mothers me. Like she's teaching me all of this all all of this wisdom that I'm like I I would have never you know, I, and I just was like sometimes sometimes I sit with her and I talk to her and I just think, Wow, Frida just taught me so much. <laughs> so that's that's big right now in my world. And and having that motherhood experience and sharing it with my husband and uh, being parents. Um, both of us have very similar experiences. Um, we come from the same culture. So lots of times we have to sit down and say, you know, when we were kids, this is how our parents address these issues. And a lot of times, you know, we didn't have the opportunity to sit down and talk to our parents. It's just like, you just do what your parents say. And like you said, you don't, you don't say anything about it. You're not allowed to. Um, and if you, and if you do speak your mind, you know, there, there'd be, harsh consequences and we decided that we didn't want that for our kids so we are we're learning as we go to find that balance of not you know being uh, too strict but not being um too free and just like finding that balance which it, it brings it back to, to biocognition so i'm i'm seeing how that applies to everything in my life but mm -hmm. especially right now so that's that's one big <laughs> big thing in my life, and the second thing is is songwriting. Um, so you know, recently I took a, a trip to Nashville just this um, uh, past a uh, couple months ago, and uh, I it's been something that I've wanted to do all my life, but I've never given myself permission to do it because I was told that oh no, that's not for you, that's for someone else like that's that's worthy of it <laughs> that um has the talent to do it you know that um has the resources to do it 
that it's 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 something unreachable for you you can't do that even you know even my own culture <laughs> it's like oh you're again you're just a girl you know <laughs> and um uh, i go you know i went to a boot camp and i i met um some incredible people and i didn't i i went without almost um fear to be honest to say oh i'm i'm not a songwriter <laughs> and i remember first um first days i was there it was a, a three-day uh, workshop um i remember telling people oh yes i'm a closet writer and they were like oh i understand you and that just made me feel like so much better and i was like oh yeah i have tons of you know lyrics that i've written that i've never i've never finished oh i you know they were talking my language <laughs> oh you know i come up with titles or sometimes i'm talking to someone and it just uh i think about oh that'd be that'd be a great title for a song oh, oh yeah I, I totally get it <laughs> mm. and i just um i was just amazed at how much other people um you know, go through that self-doubt. It was like a, a particular workshop on, you know, what do you do with your self-doubt? What do you do when you're you're writing that song and, um, you know, you're you're trying to write it for a particular genre or, you know, um, or whatever the case was. But one of the big themes that came out of that workshop was just be who you are. You know, when you're writing your songs, you just have to pour yourself out, pour your soul out, and just be who you are. You don't have to be anybody. You don't have to be, you know, um, you don't have to copy anyone. Just be yourself. And that is hard, I think, because a lot of times it's easier to want to be like someone else or portray something that you're not and hide behind, you know, the lyrics or whatever it may be. And so just even saying, I'm a songwriter, <laughs> that's like a big, big step for me. <laughs> I never even really thought that I would be able to say that to people <laughs> or to put it on my Instagram. And you know, it's like, oh, okay, here, here I go. And um, where, where will songwriting take me? I have no idea, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the idea of let's take this journey and make lefts and rights. And you know, there's gonna be bumps on the road and I'm just gonna enjoy it. So yes. that's really big for me right now. Oh, that's so cool. And there's a word that you used earlier, portals, of course, so important in biocognition, because like, once again, if you want to make change in your life, you need a little bit different language. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, your mind, the psycholinguistics takes you right back to where you started. So when we think of a portal, I mean, we get a visual, we get a sense of what a portal means. And I love the way that you're bringing this language in <laughs> to say when you step from one phase of life into another or you're working on um, like pulling your tools out of your toolbox to use the right one in the right moment for the right job to increase how functional it is um, it changed once again it changes everything so to know that we go through portals in life we go through seasons yes but when you think of this portal um, and then you you say as we're driving go left or go right and who knows where we're going to go and be okay with that for me that was a really important part of not living as circumstance dictates right so just because the world around you says you shouldn't be a songwriter or you should you should write like so and so because they're famous you're not letting any of those shoulds any of those status quo symbols or any of the models dictate who you show up as uh, and going back to the whole the idea of being brave of being courageous being vulnerable i yes. think the you're tapping into uh, for the listeners what it takes to be brave because it's not about being the loudest it's not about being out in front of the most people and being famous and making millions of dollars. No, it's, it's about doing something that really just you love to do. Um, yes, you 
you are going through certain things, but you have agency, you have choice. Mm-hmm. And that, that has, again, also been very transformative for me um, because of my, the cultural setting. And it's like, oh, you, you know, no, you, you do what you say as a woman, as a girl, you know, you're, you're going to do what your father says, what your brothers say, or what your uncles say, or what your own mother says, and what society says. You're just like boxed in, mm-hmm. and you can't be um, a flying dove. <laughs> you can't do that. You know, the, the dove is um, in the cage, uh, right? And so that, that the choice of, okay, I'm choosing to be a songwriter, and why, why am I choosing to do that? And for me, songwriting is, you know, if I, I'm doing it because I've always wanted to do it and wanted to really um, experience what it was to be a songwriter. And, it, you know, uh, for me, it's been a very eye-opening experience of there are a lot of people that want to do songwriting and they do it for the same reasons. And biocognition has taught me that, you know, it's like, you have to learn who you are because somewhere along the line, you know, you, the cultural, um, again, barriers and all of these um, sort of things that you were taught, taught you to be who you um, shouldn't be. They didn't teach you who you should be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the exercise in poetics that he leads around identify all of the knots first what this is not who I am not what you don't love what doesn't serve you and by identifying all of the things that don't resonate you do get pretty clear on the things that do and it's much more focused instead of a list of 20 hobbies all of a sudden you really are singularly focused on one thing that lets your heart sing and lets your soul fly. Yeah. So can you tell us a story about a moment of isolation, um, a time when you've felt invisible or unheard in your life, and then the, the lessons you learned through it or working through this transformation that you're, that you're in in your life right now? What is a blessing that has met you on the other side that you didn't expect? Yeah, so I I think you know of um, very I wouldn't say it's just like a, a very particular situation. It was maybe more of a recurring situation um, when I was a kid, and you know um, I wasn't really allowed to have a lot of friends. And the friends that I could have, you know, they were just friends at school and. Um, so we lived, you know, a very sort of isolated, um, life, you know, we, once you come home, you, you don't, you know, even in my, my family, like we would not, my parents would not allow guests over. Um, it was just, and I think it's because again, their cultural upbringing, um, of not trusting other people and, you know, just, um, things like that. And so that made me very isolated and in sort of a, you know, obviously I had my siblings that I, um, that I could share with and I, that I could, um, talk to, um, but we, I think collectively felt isolated, um, from experiences that other kids were, you know, were, were being exposed to that we couldn't because our parents were just so protective. I remember this one time, uh, I was in a bio class and um, there was going to be a trip to Catalina Island, which is right up of you know, um, California near Long Beach. And everybody was excited. It was a small class. I think it was like maybe 10 of us. And everybody was excited. And I was just super nervous. And I thought, I, I can't go to this trip. My parents are going to say no. <laughs> you know, my parents are just, they're not going to allow it. Um, no was a very prevalent word in my culture and my family it's like getting a yes was really hard <laughs> um, <laughs> so I remember um, leaving that day and you know the teacher said oh make sure that you 
you're returning your, your paperwork and um and obviously there was going to be a cost associated with it and i was like oh you know my parents will never let me go <laughs> i'm i'm never going to experience that and and especially because there's there's money involved <laughs> um and um yeah so i went home and i told my parents about it and they're like oh yeah you're, you're not gonna go no which i kind of knew it was like okay so i felt like very isolated in those moments and i always kind of um accepted it but there were times where isolation was too much um and but some some of the things that helped me that i didn't realize that helped me was prayer for example like when i was a kid i didn't really understand the whole concept of praying i was just like okay i'm just gonna say my prayers the ones that i learned at church and um just gonna repeat them and but for me prayer and talking to god were two separate things <laughs> when i was a kid i was like okay i'm gonna pray okay but but that's i'm done with that okay i'm, I'm now i'm gonna go talk to god <laughs> or i'm gonna go and, and write a letter to god that's what i used to do when i was a kid mm. and that um that was like a, a a very i didn't realize that i was actually praying when i was talking to god and i was actually praying when i was writing him all those letters <laughs> i didn't realize it i didn't realize it and i didn't realize that um when i was going through um you know certain situations where i would just close my eyes and say please god help me because i don't I don't know how this is going to end up or whatever the case was. I didn't realize that at, in that moment I, I was praying. I just thought to me, that was just like, that's what I do. That's when something bad is happening with something I, that I can't control. I just go and ask God. And, and sometimes I would feel so guilty because <laughs> I was like, God, I always ask you for lots of things, <laughs> you know, and what do I give you? You know, um, And then, so now that I'm reading, you know, Santa Teresa de Avila, it's like, oh, you were praying all that time. You were, <laughs> you were going inside. You were, you know, um, and it's it's brought it full circle for me because of biocognition. Because, um, you know, this is that cliche like, oh, dreams do come true, <laughs> you know, uh, and if we think about oh, dreams, I I don't know how people think about it, but again, dreams were foreign to me. Like, oh yeah, that those are for other people to experience or to have or um and as i sit here with you <laughs> i think about you know all of the dreams that i asked god for um have come true are coming true <laughs> and it's um sometimes a little bit overwhelming <laughs> but that pain that i that i was going through when I was a kid, being isolated, um, what did I learn from that? The biggest lesson is that, um, for me, was that whether you're meditating, praying, talking to God, singing to God, um, you know, you you are in that in that space that lets you grow, in that space that where you give yourself permission to dream. <laughs> to be yourself. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that's the, the greatest lesson that I've learned from that pain, which I never mm. actually thought. I always thought pain is just pain and can't even learn from pain. I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I was um, conditioned to think. Yeah. That it's just misery. Normal. Yeah. You just yeah. have to, it's like, it, it's, it's okay to live in misery. Like it's okay. But I learned that you don't have to. And to get through it just toughen up yeah you're too sensitive or you're too weak yeah. or there's another layer of there's something wrong with you yes <laughs> yeah or you're not as strong as us if you can't handle mm -hmm. the misery and suffering yeah and it's almost like a badge people wear yes in, um i'm sure in lots of cultures and it's like oh yeah you know um the the leaving of the tribe right mm -hmm. you've left your tribe now you think you're better than us because mm -hmm. now you're doing what you want to do or be who you want to be. Mm -hmm. um, so I do see that a lot. And, you know, in, in my family, just, <laughs> I've, I've seen that. Yeah. 
So with all of this in mind, as, as we're like, we came full circle again to some of what you were talking about earlier and especially thinking about motherhood, when we talk about archetypes, motherhood might be that you are a mother. It might also yeah. be that you are some, a, a woman that creates and births new ideas into the world. So in this sense of motherhood, whether women have a daughter or not, uh, and, and the same for fatherhood, whether they have a daughter or not, what do you see as some gaps in empowerment for girls and how early should girls empowerment really begin? What is it? What are the gaps? When should it begin this whole, <laughs> this whole other conversation of we're doing this as women, but what if we didn't have to, because we had something different when we were girls? Yeah. Um, I think the word model, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's easy to say, um, you know, do this, 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 this. I remember that conversation that you and I had um, about checklisting. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to make a list and I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put A, B, C, D, E, one, two, three, four, five, I'm going to check them all off. And then after that, I'm done. I've, you know, I've done the process or I'm a new person. It's easy to do that. <laughs> um, but if, for me, I think, especially if you've always been shown misery and you don't know what misery does not look like, then it's hard to maybe um, first like even conceptualize um, or to understand what it is. So there, I think the, the gaps are, you know, the, the modeling. Um, and I think, I, you know, it's, it's kind of a circle too, right? Um, modeling, so that you can show others what uh, empowerment looks like, right? And then from there, uh, you can grow others in empowerment, and then they them they in turn can teach others, right? Um, so finding that sort of circle to say, um, I I I need to model uh, empowerment, and what is empowerment, right? I, I think so. Maybe just like. The, the language creation, right? So we're, mm -hmm. we're creating a new language um, that is different from what we are, um, you know, usually experiencing with other people. And um, I started paying close attention to what people would say if I asked, hey, how are you? <laughs> and because Mario brought it up one day, oh, yeah, it is interesting. People do say like, oh, you know, I'm feeling have, have so much work and you know it's like they always go to the negative and and I thought you know I'm going to start doing the opposite I'm going to talk about all the good things that are happening in my life um and it's it's like it, it people are kind of surprised like well <laughs> like who are you <laughs> like be you know being that light right so so I think just um teaching the new language right it's a new language um and how do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, uh, but modeling, modeling, uh, because one thing that uh, Madhu mentioned to me was your kids are watching you. They're watching you. You know, they're, they're not necessarily maybe listening to you. They're watching. What you, so if you um, say like a, a promise. I promise to take you blah 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 blah, or you know, on such a such day, and then you don't do it. They're watching you. They're saying, "Okay, that's how I can make a promise, but not keep it." Right. So, if you make the promise, keep the promise. Show them that you can't keep the promise. Um, and from how early? I mean, to me, it's like, to me, <laughs> it's just even before you have the child. <laughs> You know, when I was a kid, I, I had these dreams of like, okay, when I'm a mother, this is the type of mother that I want to be. It's like, you don't have to wait for the children to come. And even if you don't have children, what I would say is that I, I thought about 
if I were my own mother, what kind of mother would I want? And and everybody has a mom, right? Maybe some people, like my father, never met his mom. He was an orphan. Um, but he had, like, a mother figure. And so a- asking those questions of, okay, what what did my mo- my mother teach me that I can use that serves me? And what did she teach me that does not serve me? So forming those um, motherhood be- be- before you become a mother or whether you, you know, um, or even if you don't become a mom, when what society calls mom, you know, motherhood. Because I think you have the ability to be a mother and mother others. Maybe you, maybe you don't have kids, but if you're a teacher, for example, and this happened to me a lot when I was a kid, um, you know, it's like, oh, I see, you know, Miss Rodriguez as my mother, as that part of, like, mothering piece that I need from my jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see it in her, you know. Or I see um, the cafeteria lady as that other little piece with her kindness and, you know, um, you know, whatever it was that I felt like I, I needed, I just, and sometimes again, I felt so guilty about it. Like I was taking little pieces from other women to form my puzzle of motherhood and what my idea of the ideal who I thought I needed or my um, sort of growth. And then also now as as becoming a mom to say, okay, in my puzzle, there are pieces that don't fit. They're too big. <laughs> They're too big. So I got to toss those out. <laughs> From the wrong um, box. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like it's a very clear example, verbal abuse, right? Like that's not something that serves me, that serves my children. So I'm going to take it out. Right. Um, isolating them. That's a, big piece that I that does not serve me I'm going to take it out but again I think I think um you don't have to wait for the children to come whether those are biological children adopted children um children that come as students you know you you as a person can always have children you just don't they don't always have to be physically tied to you biologically and I've had children I think I've had children that I didn't realize were my children like my my sister, my little sister, um, she asked she she would call me mom when I was a kid, and you know even now she'll call me and she'll say hey she calls me Betty hey Betty I'm going through this and I don't know how to get through it, and she's like I can't really call my mom, but I can call you but you're like my second mom, <laughs> you know so things like that I'm like oh you are you're we're constantly mothering we just don't know that we are doing it whether it's you know and mothering for me it's not just like oh someone has to be younger than you right again you can you could take the mothering and do it um horizontal vertically you know um that that's what i that's what i think about mothering even like (laughs) i wrote the song the spanish song mama naturaleza which is um Mama Naturaleza, which means uh, motherhood, uh, the motherhood of nature, or um, I don't know how to translate it, but but basically it's a song about, you know, a song about saying, um, you're so beautiful, motherhood, you know, you're, um, earth, you're, you're, you're so beautiful. Because in Spanish, um, la naturaleza is female, like nature is female. So I wrote this uh, song about, you know, um, uh, kind of saying, let's let's love our, our mother nature, let's take care of her because she takes care of us, and you know, so just that symbol of motherhood can be anywhere. I don't necessarily think it's just like, again, biological mom, biological uh, daughter, um, and it can begin now and always. It's like it's like infinite. Yes. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yep. Touching my heart here. Oh my gosh. Um, and you're also taking me back a few years to a few years ago when I started to 
uh, I was trying to figure out for other women what empowerment was, because I remember with Dr. Martinez, we are taught empowerment means access to resources to overcome a challenge. Because empowerment is talked about by people as a feeling, an end outcome. How do you feel after you have been empowered? Mm -hmm. And I started to interview women and nobody could tell me what the process of empowerment was. So for you to say one of the tools, one of the resources that we need to access to overcome a challenge is, is uh, expression. It is belongingness. And from those things, we can feel and experience freedom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are specific things we need to be able to do. Silence, uh, quietude, going inward, um, taking and deciphering the puzzle pieces that fit and don't fit. And from there, we use those tools to overcome the challenges that we face in order to, to be empowered, to feel those amazing senses, the sense of freedom, the sense of connectivity, the sense of peace, focus, all of those things. And I, I love how Lee, your final comment about motherhood is about it's infinite. That's the essence of all of this. And that's another key ingredient uh, in in lessons of biocognition is that we want to find like in life as we're wandering we have to find extremes in order to calibrate mm -hmm. and come back to what serves us right so to feel isolated on the other hand to feel overwhelmed in some moments of life with people around us or the sense of just too much we go from too little to too much and we can and we can hone back in and the same thing goes for how we define motherhood for ourselves and start to break the barriers like you said what serves me from what i learned about motherhood biological motherhood what doesn't serve me how do i take those as metaphors as archetypes and as the essence into this infinite <laughs> process of honoring what came before me to the beginning of time and sending that goodness forward even though i'm not going to be here i can set that as my intention and do it i can live it yes no, I, I agree it's not it's, um and again you know um empowerment well, that was just like a oh it's way up there <laughs> i don't mm -hmm. know that i can reach it mm -hmm. <laughs> but empowerment um as I'm learning is it, it can be in the smallest of things yes. in, in your life, you know, just doing something for yourself. Um, as simple as I'm going to take a five minute break because um, I need to step out or, you know, or what and I have a boss that my last manager, she said something that I was like, wow, it just, None of my other managers had ever said this to me. She said, you know, sometimes I would be in a meeting with her and, um, you know, the atmosphere would get um, a little unprofessional, I would say. Um, and I would just, like, not want to be in that room. Um, and she told me in one of my one-on-ones my -on with her, she said, you know, Beatrice, you can give yourself the permission to step out and say, I'm going to... I'll be right back. You have to drop because someone's making you uncomfortable and you know, you, you don't want to be in that room. You don't have to. And I, <laughs> that, that little piece of advice, I thought, Oh, I've never given myself permission to leave the room. <laughs> I always just had this feeling of like, I have to be there because I have to do what I'm being told to do. And yeah. sit and take it. Yeah, and just sit and take it. Just, and, um, that's very powerful to say, um, I'm in this room, circle, family, culture, world, <laughs> my state of mind, whatever it is. Um, and I don't want to be there because that's not who I am. That's not what I want to be. Um, so 
So I'm going to give myself permission to step out of the tribe, mm-hmm. out of that situation, you know, um, out of that circle where I, I'm not being honored, where I'm not, you know, growing. Yeah. Um, whatever the case is. Um, and for me, I, yesterday, it actually, Frida and I sat down and we talked a, a little bit about peer pressure. You know, when you, when you are in a situation where someone is pressuring you to do something that you know is not who you are, what do you do? You stand up and, and uh, for yourself and you're courageous and you say, no, I don't, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do or, you know, uh, pushing me to do or... Um, so it's okay to say I'm stepping out of that block, out of that circle, out of that situation, right? So having that courage, the bravery that's right there, right? That, that mm-hmm. courage to say, I'm going to be true to myself and therefore I'm going to step out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like empowerment. And we don't, maybe we don't, we don't recognize it, right? Right. Um, but that is to me empowerment because you are being true to yourself and one of the things that i'm learning and i'm still learning and um learning who you are learning who are you really like that question that keeps coming in our open biocognition mm-hmm. it's a very powerful question like who are you yeah who are you and that'll give help you give you know the i think the bravery that you need mm-hmm. to be empowered and to live in empowerment because i think you're right it's not just like a um, like a feeling or just like a moment or um, uh, it's, it's, it's an experience that, yes. that you learn to live in, mm-hmm. in empowerment. Is it always going to look perfect? No, just like life, <laughs> right? It's always be like, you know, life and then empowerment. It's like kind of mirror each other. Mm-hmm. Like you have your ups and downs and sideways and, yes. you know, and it takes us back to the element of victimhood. So if, if empowerment is an experience, it's a lived state of being, it is being vulnerable enough to say, I am a wounded hero. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the, the sessions, the biocognitive sessions called Healing the Wounded Hero. We can say we are heroes. We've yeah. been hurt. We're going to get better because to be the opposite is to intentionally disempower ourselves and perpetuate the victimhood as you talked about it earlier yes and when 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 you are feeling jealous for example um you know just you have to uh, acknowledge that you're being jealous right um and and for me that's something new that's like that concept of acknowledging for example jealousy um because before i would just if i was jealous of someone i would just like suppress it i'm just like oh i'm I'm a bad person i can't i can't feel jealousy like that's not good that's not a good feeling Mm -hmm. but you have to acknowledge that you are being jealous so that you can grow so um acknowledging that you are jealous and what is the antidote of that or how do you you know how do you um take jealousy and transform it into something else yes but, and then, so the, the use of antidotes has mm-hmm. been for me really helpful mm-hmm. um, to say, you know, what do I not want to be? Okay, this is maybe what I am, but if I don't want to be a jealous, you know, I don't want to be in a, in a situation where I'm jealous of that person, but, but I am jealous and that's okay to recognize it. How do I move from jealousy to gratefulness, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, or from jealousy to sharing or from jealousy you know, to all of the, um, I'd say the, the uh, feelings of, of joy. Mm-hmm. And joy for me has actually been, um, I'm just, le- I mean, learning a lot about the, the language, right? I don't, I don't think people talk enough about joy. In this world. I agree. I think we talk more, like I think Mario said this, we talk more about happiness, mm-hmm. but we don't really necessarily talk about joy. Yeah. Because happiness is a quick thing outside of us. Get a piece of cake and I'm happy. Yeah. Hop on my phone and look at Instagram and I'm happy. Mm -hmm. But joy is an internal state. Yeah. And you can be 
how does he say it? You can be in joy, you can live in joy, even if there's sadness or destruction or bad things in the world around you. You can, that's the whole idea of a contemplative practice. You cultivate joy within you. Yes. Because that keeps the light going. Yes. Yeah. Wow. If you had one one piece of advice for anyone listening, whoever they may be, men, women, children, adults, <laughs> what would your one piece of advice for a joyful thriving life be um to go inward you know i think a lot for myself um living like the outside world was just that was just what i always thought you know it's like there's this outside world <laughs> that gives me happiness <laughs> right that just um yeah this this whole notion of uh oh yeah I want to have the career I want to have you know I I thought I knew what dreams were <laughs> you know I want to have a house and I want to have a car and I, have, I want to have uh, lots of friends and I you know all these materialistic sort of things that we think are going to bring us joy or happiness um you can have all that and you can still be miserable you know you can have um everything that you've ever imagined um, material wise um, and I, you know I cry because it's just going inward it's just um, like you said uh, it's like exercising your soul <laughs> um, you know we exercise our, our minds we exercise our bodies um, but what about our souls <laughs> what about exercising our souls um, so going inward you you know, if you, if you do that, you are going to find things that you don't like. <laughs> You're going to open that closet full of bones. <laughs> um, and you might be scared, but you're fine. But it doesn't mean that you have to um, be that person. You know, you, you can, you can find real change in, in living um, inwardly. Right. Um, so that that and you know it's like but what is going inward would be probably the question that people are going to ask themselves it's to me <laughs> um it's experiencing life in a different light it's like oh i never knew that you could experience life in this way mm -hmm. i can't you know i was always living outside of myself and i think and I, and I bring it back to those moments of like talking to God. That was, that was my experience of like living inward, but it was just like little bits and glimpses of, you know, uh, of doing that. But it, once you start living inward, um, you find joy, you find something that you can't find anywhere else. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and even, you know, um, I was always, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I, I can't do this because I'm not perfect. I was always like feeling like I needed to find perfection and I couldn't find it. Yeah. And for me, joy is perfection. <laughs> it's just, and it's not, it's not perfection oh. in a way that we think about it. It's just, it's that when you go inward, um, again, you're like living life in a different way that maybe nobody has ever taught you um it's a sense of nothing can be better than this that's perfection <laughs> yeah. nothing could be better than this moment wow yes. and how do i you know when i'm in that now because i know what that is or at least i think i know what that is or i feel like i know what that is how can i how can i transcend that to other people how can i share that with other people and for me it's it goes back to the modeling like okay I, I feel like I'm experiencing joy and I and I am I think like joy is like again like that word infinite comes it's like there's always enough of it there's not like not is that there's not like a you know like 
I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's just always has, always will be. And you don't have to fight for your chunk of joy. <laughs> you know, like it's always going to be there for you. You just have to go inward to go look for it. And everyone's going to have a different um, lived experience of that. Um, and for me, uh, it's been from, you know, learning how to go from victimhood to empowerment that's helped me to to um get into the in but i had to do it going inward like mm -hmm. I, that the word is inward <laughs> for me i love that thank you thank you so so much if anybody wants to connect with you or learn from you <laughs> <laughs> or be healed through song with you <laughs> um, and support support your passions how can they connect with you or what's the best way to get to know you sure um i'm on instagram and it's uh it's a new platform that i um that i'm discovering to put more items on there um and i'm under beatrice um b B E <laughs> Vernon, my last name. Uh, so Beatrice, B E A T R I Z, uh, Patricia Marks, B E E, and my last name Vernon, B E R J N. Um, that's that's where you can find me, and um, you know, I hope that I have um, at least planted a, a seed to see a wildflower grow. <laughs> yes, yes, you touched so many hearts today. <laughs> for sure <laughs> and inspired so many souls with the hope that we can make that transition go inward we can transition from victimhood to empowerment yes. and let let it last for life yes. so thank you thank you for your words of wisdom thank you so and much. your beautiful energy <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much i really enjoyed this thank you for having me